Take your Bibles with me. Make your way to, uh, I'm going to give you two passages today. Um, of course, Ephesians, did I say Ephesians? Colossians 3. I've been a little bit in Ephesians this week. Colossians chapter 3. Put something in there. And then make your way further to the back, James. Go to the book of James chapter 4 because I want to show you something this morning. How this all goes together. It's weird to me how that I like to preach through what I call paragraphs of scripture. And most of the time that works out. But then sometimes there's stuff in there that just needs to be dug into and dealt with a little bit slower. Um, And I found that that happened in this section of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, And so I did that. I I just put the brakes on and uh, went through that as I felt was important for us to, to engage it at that level. So let me remind you of where we have been. This entire letter... Paul has written to, as a, as a very fast, kind of cliff notes, if you will, version of Romans, uh, but a very fast, terse letter. He wrote for Paul in short sentences. Paul usually writes in these paragraph-long sentences. But here in the Greek, even, it's these short staccato sentences because he's dealing with an issue. And that issue has come to be known as the Colossian heresy. There were this, this weird um, false doctrine purported by false teachers in this infant church in Colossae that was a mix of about four things. Good old-fashioned Jewish legalism. You're going to hear about that today. Uh, circumcised and uncircumcised. That's a big dividing point. Um, mysticism, Eastern mysticism. Some mystical experiences. The beginnings of what came to be known as first century Gnosticism, which, which again, fit with mysticism really well. And, and, um, and then good old-fashioned legalism. So these four things kind of came together to create what was called the Colossian heresy. In a nutshell, what they were saying is Jesus is great. And, and you know, repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus, it just barely gets you started. But you need more than that if you really want to get to God. And I know you hear that, and, and your enlightened mind says, well, I would never believe such a thing, and I would caution you to be careful. There's a lot of things that we, just think about it. There's a lot of things that we look to that we think are going to make us, I'm going to use bad grammar here, writer with God. I had a friend of mine uh, in Bible college and his big boast was, I have read my Bible and had my time with the Lord for four years straight. That was his big boast. So he was writer with it. And I thought in my mind, but you're still a jerk. So how does that work? <laughs> it's not helping you. And we have lots of stuff that we look to in our day, in our time, that we think makes us more right with God than if we didn't do them gets us closer to God. And what what Paul is fighting back hard, and Paul's not being nice here. (laughs) He doesn't have time for all the flowery speeches. He is is taking the gloves off. He's saying one thing and one thing only. Christ Jesus is preeminent, he's supreme, and he's enough. And anybody, even myself, or an angel from heaven that tells you any other thing, 
is lying to you and they're committing heresy. Reject them out of hand. So that's pretty much the, the import of this whole thing. The preeminence of Christ in chapter 1. Talking about the sacrifice of Christ towards the end of that. Um, Paul says in chapter 2, it's not philosophy. You don't need philosophy. You just need Christ. The last half of chapter 2, it's not legalism. You don't need legalism. You need the law keeper. That's Jesus Christ himself. In the beginning of 3, it's not carnality. It's not living in the flesh and giving into the whims of the flesh. You need Christ. And he will change all of that. And then he shifts and goes into the character of the new man. And, it, and even this week, you're going to see that he shifts in this verse 11 from this character to values, the values that guide and govern us as people. So I'm going to ask you a question as we start off with that overview. Last week, we talked about the old and the new. And those are not two concurrent issues. There's one. The old is who you and the new is who you, right? And those don't play with each other. God has not left you as a two-headed monster. You're the new person in Christ. If you've repented of your sin and put your faith in him, it's who you are. And the rest of your life is living up to that reality and living out of that reality. But today he shifts a major gear um, and takes us to a new place. And it's the results. What that should look like as a result of being the new person in Christ. And I've just entitled this Christ is all. But I want to ask you a question to start with this morning. I want some feedback. It's really two questions, but it's to get at the one bottom line answer. So here's the two questions. What is it that brings us, brings people together? And then what is it that separates people? And I want you to just think about our culture. Just people that you think about yourself. What do we fight over? What are, we what are the things that we disagree about? And what are the things that we disagree about so much that we separate over? What are the things that divide us? What's that? Politics. Why is, why is politics such a, such a divisive issue? <laughs> Did you read my notes when you cut them off the copier? He just stole every bit of my thunder. Elizabeth said the other day that Ben was more, more me than I, than I am. And he's right. We, you know what? Did y'all hear what he said? He said, because we want what we want. Isn't that the truth? We want what we want, and we think our political party is going to get us there. Right? And so politics divides. What else, what else divides us? Huh? Religion. Religion. Boy, doesn't it? We've experienced that even recently. Different systems of belief divides people. And that division can get literally bloody, can it? Has in the past. It's doing it right now. And I think in the future we're going to see more of it. What, what else divides? What, what let's get more personal. What divides relationships? Okay, race. Which, which will be more accurate and say ethnicity. The color of people's skin. That divides us, doesn't it? What are other things? Can I get more? Huh? Our emotions, our feelings can divide us. Right. But at the end of the day, uh, I like what Ben said. Um, ultimately, it's because we want what we want. We'll do anything to get it, including dividing. 
So with that in mind, let me just quickly take you over to James chapter 4, and then you're going to see where this fits in, hopefully, um, with, with our text today, which is really just chapter 3, verse 11. Look at James 4. Start there in verse number 1. <laughs> Boy, I love about James. Now, he's Jesus' little brother. That had to be a hard gig. You imagine having Jesus for your older brother? Yeah, your older brother walked on water. I was it with you. <laughs> um, James gets it, though, doesn't he? That's why the book of James is, James is called the Solomon of the New Testament. This little letter of James is called the, the Proverbs of the New Testament sometimes. It's the wisdom book. So he asked a question that I just asked you. Where do wars and fights come from among you? In other words, what's your problem? And he answers it. Don't they come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members? Or as Ben said, you want what you want. You lust? That means a strong desire and cannot obtain. You want what you want, but you can't get it. You fight and you war. But look what he says. <laughs> you don't have. Why? Because you don't ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do, now here, here it is. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? I think I skipped a section here. It says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not know that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? Boy, doesn't James just tell us where it's at? He said, I'll tell you what your problem is. I'll tell you what, what separates you people, why you're, why you're willing to fight and even go to war. Because you want what you want. And what you want is all about you and your earthly pleasures. And you're willing to kill for it. There's a word for that. It's good old-fashioned idolatry, isn't it? Man, we, we are good at dividing, but let me, let me flip that script a little bit. What is it that unifies us? What is it that keeps us together? What is it that brings us? To, what, are, what are the common denominators? What did I hear? God, and would I hear something else? Love. Love. We were talking about love this morning in and, and and the D group. And, and I, I share with Wes something that my, my mom told me years ago. And she said, uh, I was a young man, thought I knew everything about everything. And I found this girl that I, that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And she was sitting at the kitchen table. She goes, I need to tell you something, son. People don't fall in love. And I, that pricked my ears up. I said, really? I thought I did. She goes, no, people fall in ditches. You don't fall in love. Love's not an accident. She said, love's a choice. And it's true. You don't fall in love. 
That's just the bonus feelings. And those are great. I'm not discounting those at all. It's wonderful, right? But love is nothing but a choice to put someone else before yourself. And by the way, if you're here today outside of Jesus Christ, good luck with that. Because the only person you're truly in love with is you. And I don't believe you can even love another person and use that term correctly, the God's definition of love, unless God's the one loving through you. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Because he says, hey, that old, that old you, that thing's dead on a cross. <laughs> There's a new you in place. In verse 10. So let's just jump back to this text. And I know you're scared, but I'm going to go. There's, there's, I can get through this pretty quick today. Let's look at this text. Beginning in, I think I put it verse 1. Did I not, Lisa? Yes, I did. If or since then you were raised with Christ, what? Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. What is he doing there? Set your mind. Where? On things above and not on things on the earth. Get, get your mindset into reality. Why? Because you died. And your life, listen to this, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do you all see that? You're one with Christ at the right hand of the Father. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In other words, you're never getting out of Jesus. You're always going to be in Christ. Right? What a beautiful thing. And it's going to change you, even your body. Therefore, because this is true, put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. By the way, how many of those things being acted upon have separated marriages that you know of? Come on. And Paul says, kill those things, man. Don't even be nice to them. Don't even call a truce. Take out the sword of the spirit and put them to death. They got no place in your life. It's not part of you anymore. Why? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. That's what people outside of Christ do. That's not you anymore. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And the parenthesis says, which is no longer. Right? In which, uh, okay, next verse. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Now here's the rest of the grave clothes that got to go. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And then he's going to add another one in verse 9. And don't lie to one another. Why? Since you put off the old man with his deeds. And put on a new man, the new you, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And here's our text for today. And when you are living out of this new man in the, of verse 10, and your knowledge, your intimate knowledge of Christ is growing. You're seeing Christ clearer and clearer and clearer. You're, you're walking closer and closer with Christ just, by, just because of the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You're waking up to what that affords you, and you're walking with Jesus, and your, your mind is being constantly renewed and transformed. What's going to happen? Here's the final result of that. Here's the character and the values that show up where in Christ. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. And then there's this weird statement. It's the only time it's used in Scripture, which is interesting. But, or instead, Christ is all and in all. Christ is all 
and in all. There's a difference. And I think what he's saying here in a nutshell, and then I'll, I'll briefly unpack it, is this. Either when Christ is all and he's in all, those distinctions disappear. And when those distinctions show up, Christ is not all, and he's not in all. You follow what I'm saying? Just, so, bottom line, here we go. In verse 11, it says where. And that's, that's, a, that's what we call a, a, a locative descriptor, description or descriptor. It's a location. Where? What do you mean where? In this renewed knowledge of Christ, verse 10. New man, new you, and you have this constant renewal of this intimate knowledge with Christ. There, these distinctions aren't there. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There's just Christ. So I want to unpack these three distinct sections in this verse with you today. The first will define the problem. The second will determine the solution. And the third will delineate the reason that that solution works. Why it's effective. So let's just jump right in it and let's define the problem, number one. Uh, the definition of the problem is, is the problem is our idiosyncrasies. And that's actually, you don't use that word a lot, but it's a perfect word for that. What, what do you mean by idiosyncrasies? That which makes you, you based on the differences between you and others outside of your people group. In other words, it's what makes you distinctly you, based on other people who aren't like you. It's called idiosyncrasies. What you have in common with your people and don't have in common with everybody else. Right there, this definition is divisionary, isn't it? It says there's me, and there's everybody who's not me. That sounds like the beginning of a war, doesn't it? And that's what Paul's saying. By the way, were they, were they, <laughs> were they having some, uh, getting set up for some pretty good divisions there in this little church in Colossae? You better believe it. By the way, false doctrine, false teachers always divide. They never unify. So, so it's this idea that you like people who are like you and you don't really care for people who aren't. What's the old saying? Birds of a feather what? Yeah, right? So we like to hang out with people who are just like us. So Paul here asserts that the more, check, catch this please, the more renewed you are in your intimate personal knowledge of Christ, the less these main dividing differences will matter. Did y'all catch that? That's the main point of this first section the more because it all goes back to verse 10 and it's all governed by verse 9 not lying to each other because you put off this old man that's who you were historically it's not who you are now you put on this new man who's constantly through the holy spirit waking you up to the to the realities of who jesus is because you're walking with him and the more renewed you are in your intimate personal knowledge of christ the less these main dividing differences will matter now, you remember these false teachers in Colossae? They were coming in with the exact opposite message. They were coming in with a message of divisions. There's the haves and there's the have-nots. And we're the haves, which means everybody else is the what? 
And if you want to become the haves, again, on our side of things, then you have to do things our way. we got some new knowledge to hand down to you. It's great that you started with Jesus, but he's not enough. And by the way, whenever you hear that, when anyone ever says to you, yes, Jesus is great, but right there, you just need to cut it off and say, no, Jesus is great, period. And I don't need anything outside of Christ. So, so they were doing this already. Paul is opposing this division. Now look how he does it, through, through exalting Christ, the supremacy of Christ. So let me give you the four big idiosyncrasies, the four big division uh, things, and they're in your outline, and we'll get through them one at a time, and, but simply they're this, their ethnicity, the color of your skin, their religion, it's culture, and it's economic. All right, so we'll get into these. Let's just take them one at a time. Ethnicity. Uh, and, and under ethnicity, I just put in there what you were born into. What you were born into. Um, you know, they like to, people like to call it race. I, I've already done a whole sermon series. That, that, that term is completely illegitimate. And if you start with an illegitimate term, how are you going to have end at a, at a rational conclusion? You can't. When you start wrong, you finish wrong. There are no races. There's one race, and it's the human race. And we've been bad wrong about that in the past. But the beautiful thing about the church of Jesus Christ is it's self-corrective. And it, and it always has been. It defies, it defies the, 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 the idea that everything's getting worse and worse and worse. There's only one thing in the universe that's not getting worse and worse and worse. And that is the truth of God's word. Amen. And it, and it corrects constantly the believer in the body of Christ. But this whole idea of what you were born into, we're, we're all born differently. We all have different ethnicities. And depending on where you are, this can, this can be a big deal. And in Paul's verse, in verse 11, he says, there's neither Greek or what? Nor Jew. Those are, that was the biggest dividing point in the first century. There was Jews and everybody else. And everybody else didn't really care for the Jews. And guess who the Jews didn't care for? Everybody else. You think this is a new problem? It's not. It's not a new problem. It's a very, very old problem. Um, and there's people today that will come in and say, you know what? Jesus is great, but we need more than the gospel to address racism. You know what that is? Jesus is great, but. And you need to stop right there and say, no, the gospel through Jesus Christ is enough, period. I'll never forget a few years ago, I was at a, a conference, and I won't even say the name of it because you'd probably know it. You'll go look it up. I prefer you not. It's a great conference. This, this, this fellow got up and preached a terrible sermon. And this guy's, if I said his name, you probably have some of his books on your shelf. And I, I love him. But he really blew it. And he basically got up, 40,000 pastors there, and his opening statement was, this room is too white. And then he took the rest of the time and told us how wrong we were that the, that, that the room wasn't more diversified by ethnicities. And I'm going to tell you something. It started 
an audible debate. You get 40,000 pastors together, you got 40,000 ideas and opinions. And I mean, to tell you, people were audibly arguing in this conference center. And it was divisive. Because about half of those men knew the scriptures enough to say, hey, the gospel is enough, period. And the other half were being sucked into this idea that the gospel is great, but we need more than that to address this issue of racism. And it was getting heated. And there was a pastor there who posted something in the beginning of this sermon on the chat group that was set up by the conference and uh, started a firestorm so much so that they shut the chat room down in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> and that pastor was your pastor. <laughs> and it was, you could feel the tension in the room when the next guy got up. It, it, was, it was not good. The next guy up to bat was a guy named H.B. London, H.B. Charles, Jr. H.B. is an interesting guy. Um, H.B. Charles, Sr. was a firestorm of a, of a preacher of the gospel. And he died young. And a strange thing, H.B. Charles, Jr. became the pastor of his father's church at the age of 17. And this guy gets it. So, so interestingly enough, I think they planned this on purpose because H.B. Charles Jr. is a black man. They sent him up after this sermon that was going to correct the rest of us. And H.B. got up, and he, could, he knew. He, I mean, it was obvious there were issues in that place. H.B. got up, and he said, let me tell you something. And it wasn't even his sermon. But he got up and he said, let me tell you something. He said, the answer to racism is the answer to one question. What do you believe about Jesus? And the whole place came to their feet. Why? Because H.B. put his finger on the problem. The man before said, it's Jesus plus, we've got to do all these things and jump through these hoops. H.B. got up and said, it's Jesus plus nothing. Racism is a sin. Jesus dealt with sin through his cross work. End of story. What did Paul say? Hey, in Christ... There's no difference between Jew and Greek. We're all the same. Because that which unites us is greater than that which divides. That's what he's saying here. So we have to understand this. Um, just jot this down. In Ephesians 2.15, Paul basically gets the same list, only he adds there's no male or female. So there's not even a gender. And boy, there were some big gender differences in the first century. You ladies think you got it bad now. First century... It was rough. And the church changed that. No Jew or Greek. So ethnicity is not an issue. Well, what's the next big one? Religion. Religion is not who you are or what you're born into. R religion is what you believe. And by the way, what you're born into affects a lot about what you believe. And, and the next one too, culture. All this goes together. These aren't separate categories. They, they link together. right? But, but religion... 
So he says, no, no, no Jew or Greek. How does he delineate religion? No uncircumcised or what? Circumcised. And that was the big issue. Just jot this down in Acts 15. It was a major issue in the early church, becoming a divisionary issue. Because these crazy Gentiles were professing faith in Christ. They were getting the same gift of the Holy Spirit that the Jewish people got. And they were like, how can that be? Because these guys are uncircumcised. They're not, they're not Jews. How is it that they're having the same result? And it looks like the Holy Spirit's indwelling them too. What's the deal? Because you need to understand, up until that point, in order to become a follower of, of Jehovah, they had a name for that as a Gentile. You were called a God-fearer. And you attended the synagogue or the temple. Uh, but you had to stay in the Gentile, the outer court. You couldn't get into the, where the Jewish men went. Um, but if you wanted to fully convert, there was a process you had to go through. And part of it was circumcision. And you literally had to do that in order to become a full-fledged follower of God. And just think about it for a second. We, I think we're really hard on the early church. They say, you know, what, what's the matter? How come they figure this out earlier? That's why it was always done. That's how you became a follower of Jehovah. You became a Jew. And now it looks like God's circumventing some of that. What do we do about it? So they had to have a big council, the first church business meeting in Acts 15. And James, half-brother of Jesus, stands up and says, okay, we've talked and talked and talked. Here's the bottom line. And he says, I think this is what we need to do. And guess what's not a part of it? Circumcision. So, no, nope, not an issue. You don't have to become a Jew to become a follower of God. Boy, that changed everything. So religion is no longer a dividing issue. You know, the question was, was God doing something new or was this just a reboot of Judaism? It's not a reboot of Judaism. It was something brand new. That's why in, Acts 2, or in Ephesians 2.15, he says, you're neither Jew or Greek. You're not a Gentile or a Jew, you're one new man in Jesus Christ. So our religion doesn't have to divide. Culture is the next one. And culture is, is this is interesting, it's the only line in here that's not a, not a contrast, but a comparison. You know, you got Jew versus Greek, uncircumcised versus uncircumcised, but here it's barbarian and Scythian. Interesting, isn't it? Um, and when you hear barbarian, what picture comes to mind? Conan the Barbarian. You guys watch way too much movies and television. <laughs> but this, when you think of a barbarian, that's not somebody you're inviting home for lunch on Sunday afternoon, right? The, these were uncultured, rough-cut people that even the Greeks didn't want anything to do with, right? The, the, these are the socially um, untenable and the outcasts, if you will. And Paul says, nope, even those people, there's no difference. And not just barbarians, Paul says, even Scythians. And uh, that, was the, that was the most barbaric of the barbarians. It said the Scythians that came from the uh, Caucasus Mountains area, that in battle, they would literally drink the blood of their enemies and use their skull caps for bowls. That was their fine china. These were some rough people. Paul says, even folks like that, could be equal image bearers of Jesus Christ and become your 
brothers and sisters in the Lord. Even rough people. Even people from the wrong side of the tracks. And then the last one is economics. And that's purely just your, your um, oh no, I didn't get the culture. Yeah, I did. Um, that's up there. Go back to culture for a second. Because I just want to read that. Um, it's how you live. It's your environment. It's what you're used to. Social norms and rules. Have you ever been somewhere that's a very different culture than yours? I remember my first time in Brazil. There's some, because I don't know Portuguese, and then we were working with the local indigenous Indians, and they had three different dialects of their own complete language. So there's Portuguese and then all these other, nobody could talk to anybody. So we used sign language. Well, I learned very quickly because I made a specific um, sign that meant okay, and apparently, I don't know this, I'm not from that culture, in that culture, that's the same as the middle finger. And here's the pastor giving the whole work crew the middle finger. I didn't know what that meant. And then the missionary came over real fast and informed me, yeah, you need to put that one away. Don't, why? I was in a whole different culture. And And in their culture, it meant one thing. In my culture, it said, okay, let's do that. Not the same down there. So, can you see it a problem when cultures clash like that? And, and, and Paul's saying here, in Christ, we overcome those barriers. Then the last one is economics, slave or free, um, your financial situation. Uh, you know, these are all divisionary things. Are, are you the owner of the company or are you a day laborer? Paul said, doesn't matter. We treat each other the same because we're family. In Jesus Christ, slave or free. First century uh, slavery was a normal part of the economic machine. And it's not much different today. The only difference is uh, we we use different terms. Um, It's a difference between owner, employee, and employer, right? Um, And most of that, a lot of that slavery was indebted slavery. And then there was some outright um, unrighteous slavery. And it appears that there actually were slaves and free people in this church in Colossae. Because we're pretty sure that uh, a guy named Philemon, does that sound familiar? And his slave, Onesimus, were both members of this church in Colossae. And Philemon is the next letter. Um, So uh, Onesimus was a slave, Philemon was a slave owner. And we see how Paul deals with that. Um, and you know, there's a big dividing line in the haves and the haves not financially, aren't there? I mean, really, and you think about it, birds of a feather, what? I mean, rich people generally don't hang out with poor people and poor people generally don't hang out with rich people. Why? We just, we just function in different circles, right? In, in the world. And yet we come to the church, like this church of Colossae and here's Philemon and here's Onesimus, a slave and a master. And yet they're both one in a church. You see where that could be an issue? And by the way, these differences are still dividing, aren't they? And they're being used to divide us even further and even change governments and, and ideologies and how we operate. And that's happening right now before our eyes. And I would just caution you, the answer is not politics. And I'm not saying we shouldn't get involved. I think we should, and I think we should vote. I think we should do everything that we can do. But we cannot put and place our hope in politics. 
The answer is not Capitol Hill. The answer is Calvary's Hill. It's not a building. It's a cross and an empty tomb. That's where the answer lies. That's what overcomes these differences because we determine that solution. Number two, it's our identity. Because notice what it says. None of these divisions, whether it's, it's ethnic or religious or cultural or economic, none of these four big dividers can stand up to our identity in Christ. Because what do you say? Why? But Christ is all. Christ is everything. He's supreme. He's over all of it. In other words, Christ is so big. He's so total. He is so enough that these great things that divide us constantly disappear as he appears. Amen? As Jesus is exalted and lifted up and slave and owner bow before the same king of kings, the same lord of lords, all of a sudden those, those differences disappear. And they are now brothers in Christ. And the uncircumcised Greek and the circumcised Pharisee Jew can, can have a meal together and worship the Lord in that meal because Christ is all. The new man, the identity in Jesus is what matters. It's the YBH, the yeah, but how of all these historical divisions is simply this, Christ alone. Christ is all. He looms larger than these than all of these differences. And as he looms larger, think about it, these differences, what? Get smaller and smaller. So here's the thing. What's the answer for our country? The answer is not one more new law. The answer is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Amen? He's the answer because as Christ increases, those things disappear. Our identity must be wrapped up in a Christ that unites us. That's number two. Determine the solution. Should be up there. Um, our, our identity in Christ. Now here's the third and the last one. Is delineate why Christ being supreme works. Okay, so Christ is the answer. But how does that work? I mean, because these differences are there. Are, are there. are there ethnic differences in Macon, Georgia? You better believe it. Are there religious differences and dividers? Sure. Are there cultural differences and dividers? Absolutely. And are there socioeconomic dividers? Yes. So Christ is the answer. Great. How's that work? How does that practically play out in Macon, Georgia? Well, it says this. Christ is all and, what's that last part? In all. In all, that's the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit. In all, what does that mean? It means he's in me and he's also in you. And we together are one in Christ. Because when Christ is in me and he's in you and we are in Christ, we have something greater in common than our ethnicity, our religion, our culture, and our finances. Amen? It's the personal indwelling Christ. He is in all. And that's what matters at the end of the day. That's the answer. So, bottom line, wrap it up. What are we saying here? What, you, what, you, what, what's, what am I supposed to? There's my buddy Charlie in Texas has this in every sermon. The so what? Okay, cool. So what? What am I supposed to do with that? Here's what you're supposed to do with that. Answer me a question. 
What was your last fight, argument, or disagreement about? You don't have to answer it out loud. I want you to think that through. What was the last argument, fight, or disagreement you had, and what was it about? I see husbands asking wives, what did we find about last? <laughs> Siblings. Friends. What was the last thing you disagreed on? Now, here's, here's the challenge. Here it is. Identify what it was that brought about that division. What started the argument? Not who. What? What was the reason for it? Someone lied to you. Or you thought they lied to you. By the way, that's why verse 9 governs this whole thing. Lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man and put on the new. What's that? We want what we want. Yeah. Exactly. Right? So let's look at that. Let's look at the reason for that division and ask yourself. And be honest. Right? Be honest with yourself. Does that look more like who I used to be or who I am now? Is that the old self or the new self? So was I, did I enter into that disagreement based on the dictates of a dead man? Or did I approach it through the commands of a risen king and the new man, the new me? One more thing. I want you to rewind the whole event. And I want you, listen, I want you to plug in your identity in Christ. I want you to re, go back in time, rewind it. And plug in your identity in Christ. The fact that you are in Jesus Christ, he is in you. And you don't need anyone or anything other than what you've already got in him. Jesus is enough. He's enough for you. He's enough for your needs. Everything else is a bonus, but you don't have to have it. What's that mean? So that person that you're arguing with, you don't need anything from them. How would that change the argument? How would it change it if you really didn't, weren't looking to that other person to meet a need? How would that change the outcome of that argument? How would that have changed the duration? How would that have changed the temperature of that last fight? I bet you it would have changed it a lot. Because when you're no longer looking to a person to meet needs that only God can need, you can love them with no strings attached. They stop being your idol. Because what you idolize, you'll ultimately demonize because nobody can meet all your needs but God. And you've got to learn to live out of that identity. That's why this matters. Christ is all. He is supreme. And being all, he indwells all of his children. And when he's in me and he's in you and we're in him and we're looking to him, those differences disappear. They no longer become divisionary because what unites us is so much greater than that which divides. And if that's not happening, in our everyday life, we got to ask ourselves some serious and hard questions. Amen? If not, why not? Am I living according to the dictates of a dead man or a risen king? 
Who am I focusing on? And how does my identity in Christ change the outcome of my last fight, argument, or disagreement? The last time I got mad. I would assert to you that when, when Christ is enough, those irritants become so far distant that they disappear and we have this unity. And may God give us exactly that. Amen, church? Christ is all. May we embrace that this week. And if you're here today and you, and you say, you know what? You keep talking about this thing of repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus. I've heard this and heard this and heard this, but I'm not really sure what it means. I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you about that. Because everybody needs to do it and they need to be sure of it. And you need to know that God has called you to his son. And that once you're in Christ, you're never coming out. <laughs> Amen. Because he's a faithful God. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we come to you today thanking you for Jesus, our king. Lord of Lords. I thank you that uh, though, though these divisions, oh boy, can we see them. We see them in our families. We see them in our neighborhoods. We see them in our city. We, we see them even in the church today. And yet, when we're focused on Christ and our identity is wrapped up in, in, in your son, uh, we, don't need, we, we don't need to be fighting. We don't need anything but Jesus and, and, and the, the looming majesty of your son overcomes all of these divisions that the world so naturally wants to put us into one side or the other. I thank you that there's a third option <laughs> and that's your, the indwelling of your son who is enough. And I pray that, that in, in this group of people who are listening to this right now that that somebody, probably before this day is out, when, they, when, 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 when they're tempted to get mad and to get angry over something, that they would stop and they would remember, Jesus is enough, I'm in him, he's in me, and I don't have to let this division divide me. And that this would begin to have these practical outworkings. I thank you for the beauty of the logic that you've given your servant, the Apostle Paul, as he is reminding us of this powerful truth because it's going to get real practical. It's literally going to come home in the next few verses and say, this is what it should look like in your marriage. Children, this is what it should look like in your relationship with mom and dad. Employers, this is how you should treat your employees. It gets right down into where we live, and we've got to know who Jesus is and his place in our life and that all we need is him, and we don't need to look to anybody else or any other thing than the risen Christ to have our needs met. And then we can truly live free. I pray that the reality of this would be burned on our hearts as, as, as we even go home and memorize these few verses and, and, and continually remind ourselves of this renewed uh, knowledge of our King. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, would you join me as we sing the doxology today and, uh, and thank the Lord Jesus Christ the fact that he is not only risen, but he's all that we need. He's in us. We're in him. And that makes the differences disappear. Amen? Amen. Let's ask God for the grace to live that out today as we, as we sing to him how worthy he is. Praise God from whom all.
blessing.